Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. For her performance as a woman who used a power she herself hardly understood to bring healing and health to an unhappy Midwestern town, Miss Ellen Burstyn for Resurrection. (laughs) For her performance as a woman who grows from naivete to strength and survives no less an adversary than the United States Army, Miss Goldie Hawn as Private Benjamin. For her role as a mother unable and unwilling to bend her own self-imposed restrictions on the meaning of love and life, Miss Mary Tyler Moore in Ordinary People. And for her performance as a world-hardened woman who finds unexpected humanity within herself during a desperate effort to save a child's life, and in so doing saves her own, Miss, Miss Gina Rollins in Gloria. For her portrayal of a woman who conquered ignorance and poverty to become the synonym for the world she now represents, Miss Sissy Spacek in Coal Miner's Daughter. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the Academy, your choice is Miss Sissy Spacek. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1981 ceremony year win for Sissy Spacek. This is her uh, first and only Oscar, which is a shame because she's probably one of the best. And she won it for the movie Coal Miner's Daughter, one of the few movies that Meryl Streep was actually turned down for. I think she's been turned down for three. I'm not sure, but this was one of them. Uh, Today we are joined by a uh, friend, a comedian, a show producer. He's performed at Just for Laughs. Uh, Always love working with him. And it it's uh, Christoph Davidson. You can find him at at this Christoph on Twitter. Hi, Christoph. Hello, Kyle. How are you? Good, you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, uh, thank you for having me. It was a nice excuse to watch a bunch of old movies. I love it. Uh, on the year I was nominated the year I was born. That's I'm aging myself, which for a, <laughs> I know, is death for a normally, typically gay podcast audience. <laughs> like, what a fool. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah. Um, well, I do have to wonder though, so why this year? Because just because it was your birth year. You know, I looked at the, the years previous that you had on the podcast and I was trying to think of a reason to, you know, what year to pick. And yeah, I just went for 1981, the year I was born um uh because i hadn't seen any of the movies and wanted to see yeah what was going on when i was uh just being born what the world was like before i really could make sense of it fair enough yeah um okay so this year 1981 ceremony year so best picture went to ordinary people best director went to robert redford for ordinary people this was his director direct Directorial debut, that was a lot. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Timothy Hutton for Ordinary People. This was a very successful movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best Actor went to Robert De Niro for Raging Bull. And Best Supporting Actress went to Mary Steenburgen for Melvin and Howard. Um, I do want to thank you for picking a lead year because the supporting roles for women pre-2000 are a little boring. I'll be honest with you. Um, So this this was a very interesting year because I would say... 
for me, there was like two or three performances that I really liked. And then there were like two that I really didn't. Um, these that we're going to be talking about today are in no particular order. Um, but the first movie, and I'm very curious to see what your thoughts are going to be on this one. Yeah, as am I for is, yours. Is uh, Gina Rollins in the movie Gloria. Yeah, so this, this was, yeah, so Gina Rollins, a.k.a. the old lady that dies at the end of The Notebook, right? <laughs> She's Rachel McAdams, but older. Um, they actually did a remake of this movie, Gloria, in 1989 with Sharon Stone, and it was nominated for, like, every single Razzie. But uh, the original <laughs> Gloria, uh, which uh, Gina Rollins made with her uh, husband, John Cassavitz, Cassavetes. Cassavetes. There we go. I'm really bad at this pronunciation. I have people oh, uh, messaging me. That's okay. I went to. That's all my film school degree just came up for me correcting you on Cassavetes pronunciation. Oh, they will. They will love this because I'm so bad. <laughs> I get everything wrong. You. You need to check me. This is good. But yeah. like, I also don't get paid for this. So like, it's okay. Oh, I'm gonna get checked later for sure. <laughs> Happened to be a thing I knew. So just a really quick plot point for Gloria. So when a young boy's family is killed by the mob, their tough neighbor, Gloria, becomes his reluctant guardian in possession of a book that the gangsters want, the pair go on a run in New York. I feel like uh, this movie should be called Don't Fuck With Karen. (laughs) Right? Because uh, essentially, you know, uh, Gina Rollins is... uh, I'm assuming they're in like the Bronx or they're yeah. in some sort of a rough neighborhood. Oh, the opening of the movie is just letting you know how dangerous yeah. New York is. You yeah. Know, that uh, the mother who then quickly gets killed of, of the son that Gloria is with for the rest of the film. Yeah. She's just walking in and there's like a crazy person who won't let her out of the, <laughs> the elevator and there's another guy right. staring at her. And then you turned out and find that discovered that there is real danger and it's not just the city, which seems to be dangerous, but then the mob is after her and... Um, yeah, it's just got a real the the backdrop right away. You're like, oh, this is this place isn't safe. And then cue Gina Rollins coming in with her like Martha Stewart haircut, right? Yeah. Because it's just like mm, wrong neighborhood. Like she looks <laughs> like she's like fresh from Connecticut vibe, but yeah. then she's it's like don't fuck with Karen. Tough as nails. I have to say that I did not care for this movie. I thought it was. I must have checked out of this movie 400 times because the plot becomes extremely repetitive. They're on the run. And then she's like, go away. I don't want you anymore. And then she's like, oh, I miss him. And then they get back together and she's like, go away. And then they're running away from mobsters. And then it's just repetitive. Well, there's something that happened to movies, I feel, more recently in media where they, they pull, they'll pull a gun in a way that seems organic and natural. Right. But if you go further back into film, just and this is a perfect example of that, where then there's just for no reason and at an inopportune time, the, you know, the main character will then be like, well, I got a gun now. <laughs> and you got to look out because I'm going to shoot you. And that ha- she does that. She pulls a gun. Yeah. At times where she really shouldn't. Like the decisions that the character Gloria makes as to when, like at the train station restaurant, she's like, now I'm going to pull a gun on this four table of four mobsters. Right. Which is like, this isn't the time. They didn't even notice you. You could have. And then and then she runs away every time. She pulls a gun. Yeah. And then, which obviously escalates the situation immensely. <laughs> and then has to run away from that. Whereas often if she just kept her gun in, in the bag, they wouldn't be in this situation. But you're right. It's a cycle and over and over again of like she shoots and then she runs away with this kid yeah and then the kid and her had this classic uh i don't i don't want to be you're not my real mom and i don't even want you around i mean the great um 
line I remember. She's like, I don't like kids, especially yours, to the mom right. who's trying to convince her to take this young boy before he gets murdered. Yeah. And she clearly is like, this is the final countdown, bitch. Like, I'm about to get murdered. And yeah. she's like, mm, I don't like your kids. And like, wow, I don't care. Like, yeah. And this is this is go time, right? She just tells her a second time and she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I will say this, though. I did not care for this movie or for that kid, uh, John Adams, who actually won the Razzie Award at the very first Razzies for Worst Supporting Actor for this movie and tied with Laurence Olivier in The Jazz Singer. Um, wow. It, and he was also nominated for the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, which I think it's so mean that Wait, those... so the Razzies started in 1981? Yeah, and he was the first supporting actor. Well, when... I'm so glad I picked this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, the first time the Razzies began, they decided to... Nominate a child. Yes, and just take it out. Yeah. Oh my God. That yeah. is, I had no idea the Razzies were built off on so much shade. Oh, oh I mean, they did, of course, you know, but, but that's children. what makes it so funny. But um, uh, I will say that I did not care for this movie. However, Gina Rollins is amazing in it because she's the only fucking reason to watch this movie. Because you have to remember when this movie was released, I'm sure that there's not a lot of like tough lady action stars if you will during this time and those kinds of roles for women during this time because of course roles for women like pre-2000 tend to be like mothers wives um sex workers uh or all of the mistress but then in this case it's like she's just her own independent person who is associated with the mob in some unclear way but uh, I will she say, slept with one of the top guys. Exactly yeah. right. Like she's she's a so, so she's, she's a mistress or whatever <laughs> yeah. you know. But the point is is that it's a shitty script with way too much exposition. But Gina Rollins fully sells it. Excellent example of too much exposition, and I love this. As a kid in movies, I thought it was necessary in order for it to be the film, which is when they tell the title and the, one of the first few minutes they knock on. There's a knock on the door. It's Gina Rollins as Gloria, and then the husband, the, the the bookie who is skimming off the top and reason why the whole family got killed, uh, sees it as Gloria and goes, "Oh, it's Gloria." <laughs> <laughs> Within the first few minutes, and I'm like, "Oh, I love that!" Like that's you know, it's rare when you get to see movies, and in the '80s, they're full of it, where they like let you know the title of the film. I love that. Yeah, um, um, I, I think. I, I think that was something that I wrote down too a lot was just about the exposition where it was just like uh, when she first gets the kid and then she's like, what do I do with you? I don't know anything about kids. What do I do with a kid? I don't. And there was a lot of repetitive script, a lot of repetitive plot points. And then you'd constantly be signaling to the audience exactly what the moment was and what she was thinking. And I must, I must have checked out of this movie like four, 14 times. I mean, it didn't pull any punches in terms of trying to show you what you needed to know. Yeah. When she has the kid over the first time, yeah. uh, she, she actually, I like, really like this line, but she just, the kid's there and the cat meows and she's just like, oh, my poor cat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like she's just brought this kid in and she's worried about the cat. And then she's cooking eggs on a pan that she obviously doesn't use butter for. And then she just takes a fork and starts to try to scrape the fried eggs off her pan with a fork, just trashing them all into nothing. And then she throws the entire frying pan and eggs just directly in the garbage. Of course. Just so that people know that she can't cook. I know. It was yeah. very clunky. Which is what makes her strong. Yeah, 100%. She, she can't have a, uh, anyone in her life or have any domestic skills in order to take on the mob. A hundred, a hundred, a one hundred P. Another line of exposition that I love is, uh, what am I doing here? I don't want to get killed. My feet hurt. I'm overweight. Just a lot of things like that. In succession, yeah. A hundred percent. 
I also uh, love like the there was I don't think this is intended as a joke, but for me, it's just comedy is like she shoots some guys in the face uh, followed by her classic line, taxi, right? Where yeah. it's like the check, please. But it was like taxi. And every time she'd kill somebody, it would be taxi. And I got to say that the cab drivers in this movie really fucking helped her out. They really did. Yeah. And <laughs> their calm demeanor with all of this either. Like sometimes in a film, they people jump in a cab and they, the cabbie's like, oh, I guess I have to because they have the gun. These cabbies took it all like, oh, sure thing, miss. See you later. <laughs> yeah. You know, there would be the chase and then there'd be the exit scene where she just pays them in a timely manner and they're all very grateful not mentioning the fact that she just shot at a bunch of mobsters and had to drive away. <laughs> oh they all know gloria she's yeah. she's good for it right yeah um i think that there were also a lot of like unanswered things that became really distracting like uh you mentioned that she had slept with somebody that was high up but it was like why does she know the mob exactly is there anything is anything else like going to change or are they just constantly going to be running I, I felt like in New York in New York like she just kept thinking like oh she'll find some other place in Manhattan <laughs> so true you know? I didn't even think about that and then they had one plan to go to Pittsburgh but then she she got cold feet because of some guys behind her who I don't think were the mob in the end but yeah they, they had one plan to go to Pittsburgh that was like the farthest she could dream of <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be a connected city that's so true and uh I think listen uh, she said the way that she got into character for this movie was that like she went into New York and acted like I'm here don't fuck with me and this is how she kind of got into the role of Gloria and this is how she ultimately so I think that what I really appreciated was the fact that she she always stood her ground she always seemed like a tough character she did kind of seem like somebody they wouldn't want to fuck with and of course during this time roles for women a role like this would probably be very uh, let's say groundbreaking because her acting was the only thing singled out in this movie because it's not a great movie. Oh yeah, and just her, she's carrying this movie around. Hundred really acting poorly, and I put it on Cassavetes a bit because he's often more like he would. He made a lot of films. Um, that were super independent and in his house and everyone's playing a role and, and people are just kind of improvising. And you could see that that's how he was then directing these character actors mm -hmm. who obviously, I don't know if you saw the same movie I did, didn't do a great job of it. Everyone's just no. acting so obviously. Yeah. Gina Rowland's the only person who actually seems to be... In a in, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Uh, another thing that was kind of frustrating about the movie was that they never actually show the growing affection between Gloria and the child. Mm -hmm. And you would just immediately just be like, oh, she regrets walking away from the child. But you're like, why though? Like there was no moment where it was like, okay, now they're bonded. They're close. I understand the connection, why she would sacrifice her life for him. Yeah. And it just never got there. It was just this constant running away. And then they got separated from each other on the subway. And then, well, there's a new challenge. And then in the end, I was so checked out of this movie that I actually did think that she died when the kid goes to visit some random um, uh, headstone in like a graveyard and then like a full-on limo pulls up and then boop there's Gloria yeah. and then he gets in and then it's kind of like a happy ending but I mean his family is still massacred right and based on the rhythm of the movie that didn't indicate that any of this was going to end they I were know. just going to be like on another chase scene as soon as the after the credits roll exactly because it just actually I found that with a lot of the films the, the five films that we that, I, that we watched is that a lot of them just things kind of kept happening and we can get into some of the other movies but then and then they would just end and you're like okay you just repeated you know the same story cycle <laughs> five or six times and then it decided okay well 
it's an hour 45 movies over without a lot of resolution and, and Gloria was was I think one of those examples for sure so did you say that sorry at the beginning whenever you had corrected me on uh, Cas- Cassavetti yeah John Cassavetti because I called him Cassavetta so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said that you studied film in school I did uh, which I mean is going to have people expect a lot more out of me for the rest of this podcast <laughs> but it was many years ago and yeah I went to film school in Montreal so oh nice watched a lot of movies that you're supposed to watch Cassavetes being one of them because he he would make a lot of independent movies where he was acting in them and he would have his like partner in them and his family and, and just shoot it all working it out improv really mm-hmm. independent cinema verite or whatever you whatever fancy word you want to call it uh, so he did a lot of that kind of style movie which I think makes sense when you see this one where he can he can kind of pick one actor that's going to carry it, but then didn't really spend much time. It seems like he really focused on that was his wife, right? You're saying yes, yeah, yeah. It seemed like yeah, he, him and his wife were really had a good chemistry, and obviously talking totally. back and forth, and didn't spend a lot of time making sure anyone else said anything that sounded realistic. Well, so um, uh, Ray Carney in Cassavetti on Cassavetti's said that this movie was the film that John Cassavetti's believed in least of any of the work that he had done and after watching it i'm like totally since (laughs) directing the stanley kramer produced a child is waiting and uh he uh this movie gloria actually ended up having the most favorable reviews of any film that he had ever made uh which i think that he was shocked by a couple more little facts about this movie. This is one of 11 movies that um, Cassavetes and Gina Rollins had made together. The other films are A Child is Waiting, Faces, uh, Mini and Moskowitz, uh, A Woman Under the Influence, Two Minute Warning, uh, Opening Night, Tempest, Love Streams. Uh, and John Cassavetes had serious concerns about the screenplay and was not interested in directing the piece. And Cassavetes once said, I wrote this story to sell, strictly to sell. And the thing is, is... Maybe at the time it seemed a little bit more groundbreaking than it was, but it those kinds of things don't tend to age well. Like you can sort of see the holes in like why maybe a movie isn't as amazing or why it's not like a classic anymore. And I think I can kind of see why maybe he was like, this is just made to sell because it does kind of seem like a bit of a one note action movie a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. They just get chased around Manhattan inexplicably for a whole movie without any... Like, without any stakes being raised, it's just them being chased by the mob in different diners and, yeah. and, and, and with a, but a slow pace too. It's not like a Children of Men where it's like constant and it's a long takes. It's just, yeah, just the same thing. Yeah. I found it cycling. But- Gina Rowlands's mob mom character of uh, Gloria Swenson was a performance and characterization in the style and tradition of old Warner Brothers gangster movies and melodramas, the golden age of Hollywood, which I can totally see that. Yeah. Um, I think that overall she added a lot of depth and layers to the, the, the character I did kind of feel like the character was frankly a little poorly written I thought the script wasn't really great but like yeah Gina she sells it yep and she's the only reason to watch that movie yeah yeah um but it's not something that I would ever revisit no no um but she she, was great she was she was fantastic in this movie absolutely um I'm just trying to think like what were the the Oscar moment for me, I guess, like whenever she does finally confront like the mob boss, trying to convince him, like, or no, because she knows that she's in trouble too, and then she kind of just says to him, like, "Look, like I can't trust you because I know that the moment I walk out of here, 
And I, what was it? She was trying to do like a bargain to save the kid because she knew that she was going to die. See, that wasn't really clear why she went there. She was, <laughs> she went there to give them the book to mm-hmm. get killed, essentially. Yeah, right. Which I guess was out of her, you know, some inherent loyalty to the mob or something. I don't know why she did it. But you're right, that scene where she's sitting there with, I think it was Tony. Um, it's knowing, always Tony. <laughs> <laughs> knowing she's going to die. Um, and said, well, I'm going to walk out of here. And she talked about she didn't want to be tortured. Um, you know, if the one thing you can nice do is kill me quickly. And then like, well, I'm going to leave. So you, and that's when that tension, those guys walking around in different rooms, the way she played that, it would probably be the, yeah, I would say, I agree. The most, the standout one where that, she's. Yeah, that was, I think that was the Oscar moment. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you guys ever see it, just be warned that it's uh, not a super amazing movie, but super great performance by her. I mean, if you like New York. If yeah. you want to watch like 80s CD New York, then it's, it's definitely one of those. Yeah. Some, you know, if you need a, a dose of, of a kind of trashy, dirty, yeah. pre-Giuliani New York, then, then give it a watch. I just wish that they would have messed her up a little bit. Like she just looked like with the trench coat and the big Martha Stewart hair. Like mm-hmm. it just, it looked like don't fuck with Karen. I want to see like a grizzled New York neighbor in that sketchy building. I can't picture. No, she, she can afford all that because she doesn't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> and she can't cook. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So do you have anything else that you would like to add to Gina Rowland's performance before we move on? Uh, no, no. I thought uh, one of the one of the better, you know, I really, really, it's up there. It was a good one. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about Goldie Hawn in Private Benjamins. Okay. So this one was very interesting because this movie... Uh, you know, uh, Goldie Hawn had a very interesting career because she was, uh, basically known for television throughout the sixties. Yeah. And then she won the best supporting actress Oscar for Cactus Flower, which is a character that was basically a continuation from her TV career. And then she did movies like Shampoo in the seventies. And, uh, in this movie, this was kind of a, a game changer for her because, uh, Private Benjamin uh, very quickly is a sheltered young high society woman that joins the United States Army on a whim and finds herself in a trickier situation than she'd ever expected. As long as you can just go into it accepting that it's a comedy and like just that this whole story is so ridiculous and you just have to accept her character in a ridiculous story, it's extremely enjoyable, extremely entertaining. I saw this movie when I was a kid. I haven't seen it since. And this is my first time revisiting it since then. And I really loved it. Okay, yes. so I, I, I feel differently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why? Tell me. Um, okay, so I guess starting in, I wasn't didn't know it was a comedy. Then then there was the a few scenes that made that uh, pretty clear because they're like, oh, look how dumb she is, you know. That right. there was like the blowjob in the limo. <laughs> the blowjob in the limo. Yeah, I mean, there are some good. I, I give you. There's actually some good comedic moments, um, but uh, and I think Goldie Hawn does a great job being Goldie Hawn. Um, but the, it, it suffers from the same problem, I, even of, of, of Gloria in the sense that, uh, we will like, we'll jump fast forward kind of throughout the whole movie and then come back. But she has that first part where she's going through the army and she's having a lot of trouble because she, you know, wants to know where the yachts are. She walks in, where are the yachts? <laughs> Her first thing when she comes to basic training is where are all the yachts? And then it turns out that, yeah, these some great actors, but that, that serious guy tells her like, oh, where are the, we're supposed to have condos and, um, uh, what, and private rooms and and they just kind of keep hitting that note over and over again in terms of for comedic effect, and then she gets out recruited out of basic and then goes into the Thornburg Thornburg Special Ops Paratroopers, 
and kind of goes through that same cycle again of what she did in basic training. Like the movie does does the same thing kind of over and over again. And this is about also going to go for length. This is about an hour, hour and 20 minute mark. Or there's like the movie seems like it ends at about an hour and 10 and it has another half hour after. <laughs> A lot <laughs> of these movies felt like that. <laughs> I was like, OK, it's going to be over. And then it just kept kept going. I this is I got to say, this is actually the one where I was nodding in and out of. And, you know, just uh, it. I, th- I thought there was definitely a few good gags in it, but because the story, like you said, and maybe that's what I didn't do. I didn't, I didn't click into the beginning to be like, this is just going to be absurd. Mm-hmm. And so I was, and there's a lot of good actors in it. So I was, I was think I was trying to watch this seriously. And then for me, yeah, the plot just kind of got very repetitive and, and it just kind of doubled. It was her in basic training and then her with the, with the special forces people. Uh, I think how they, Blithely kind of dance over rape in a humoristic way. Yeah, was a I guess I get it early '80s, but sure that was the other thing too. Like right. it was a co- kind of it's a comedy, and then they just throw a little rape in there, and then she's having this conversation where she's able to negotiate um, where she gets placed out of special ops because of um, because Paris. of the yeah, yeah she goes be- to Paris yeah because of the, because of the, the rape, rape. yeah and it's just it's a little it was so wild for me I guess that um, yeah it didn't it didn't connect with me as much <laughs> um, yeah so it, so Goldie Hawn actually went through boot camp training for six weeks um, this was the first ever movie uh, screenplay especially written and tailored for Goldie Hawn and uh, off duty servicemen were used as extra for the war games and this show actually had a TV sitcom spinoff uh i think that one of my uh fate like i really enjoyed this movie because i just love goldie hawn in general i think that whenever she's kind of acting like the ditzy blonde and stuff like that i think that at the time was what a lot of movie audiences were used to from her Mm -hmm. but then whenever she did whenever she finally adjusted to like the military and like suddenly like mastering all the arts of war games and yes. like you're like okay and then she's incredible at this i liked the tough guy tough girl character that she kind of had because she now plays that version in her movie careers in like later movies in the mm. 90s and in the 2000s so it's just sort of interesting to sort of see like where she came from to like where like her career ended up going in this movie, you see both of those types of characters. Oh, cool. yeah. So that's kind of interesting to see like that duality. And maybe at the time that was like a new thing for audiences to see that new side of her. So I thought that that was very, very interesting. Um, I loved how extremely particular she was about all of her wedding gifts. She's used to getting everything that she wants. And she literally is like, well, we said that it was supposed to be in what the hell was it? Like, I can't even like space gray or something. And then they're like, Oh, well, I guess I can redo it for you. She's like, that'd be great. And Oh, mushroom. Yeah. So it's mushroom. Yes. Mushroom color. Yes. That's what it was. And uh, I also, I thought that the blow job in the limo, was that that's albert brooks right um was the husband i think so uh i just thought that was just absolutely hilarious the second that i saw that i was like oh it's a comedy yeah because i thought it was going to be like gi jane or something well it was pretty serious for the first uh 10 like the good good amount good little while before that was it though i don't think so i thought it was just comedy the whole time or at least that's how i the beginning like the first kind of like it didn't open with it didn't open with a gag you Mm. know it slowly built into this, like, oh, there's this marriage. Could this could be a drama about these people? And then you realize, okay, yeah, he's gonna die, so she has to 
go to you know go to war or really I, I thought it was all comedy i took it all as like from the moment it started yeah yeah i thought it was possible it was going to be but yeah i was back and forth um the uh <laughs> the other what was it the Oh yeah, the job she gets in Paris is also a as a purchasing specialist quote, which she says, "The one job I've trained for my entire life." Yeah, is right. shopping for the army. All right, <laughs> and I love how you're right because it 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 was like sort of this uh, ditzy girl, and then she becomes this tough military person, and then it goes right back to the ditzy girl moment because then she's like, "Join the military so that you can go shopping in Paris, ladies." Like yeah. it went full Emily in Paris situation. I didn't love that, and I think maybe the producers did something like that because they're like, well, this is a woman's picture, so obviously women are going to want to see women falling in love in France. Because back in the day, everybody used to say that like French, the French accent and French men were so gorgeous, and uh, uh, we don't say that anymore. So <laughs> that's that thing. Hey. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. Um yeah, um, that, well, that's actually what I really—I misspoke earlier. That extra forty minutes of the movie was after she went through basic training, after she did the special ops. She then has to decide between working in Paris, uh, well, be- decide between her French lover, uh, this man that she loves, and working in special forces. She chooses the man, uh, who then just doesn't even, yeah, does messes around on her classic French guy. Of course, um, <laughs> of course. You know the, and then uh, off she goes, walking into the distance. Uh, we don't even know what she's going to do after that. She definitely gets bounced around a lot. I, I mean, I do, I do think that almost similar to the Gina Rollins kind of experience, where it's just sort of like this could easily just be like a one note comedy. I do think that. Uh, Goldie Hawn really does bring a lot of layers to it. Like whenever her parents show up to pick her up and then she, and I was a little confused why exactly this motivated her to, to continue on. Um, and Eileen Brennan, who was Doreen, who is the supporting character, the, the drill sergeant there, oh, like chef's kiss. Like she should have won the best supporting actress Oscar. Um, that's a different podcast. And uh, <laughs> I think, when she decides that she's going to stay in the army, her parents are there and they're acting so superficial. And I guess because of the experience that she's had in military school, she's gained new perspectives. So she just thinks, no, I want to keep going because I don't want to go back to that superficial life. I feel like that decision and that inner monologue could have been more clear, Mm -hmm. but I think that that scene for me was her Oscar moment because you do see the change in her and you do, there are like, like there's a little bit more depth to her character now. It's the first decision she makes for herself. Yes. In that film. Right. Everything else has been laid out for her, been kind of decided for her, And this was the first time that she, she made her own call. And so, yeah, I, I would agree. Sure. It's a little bit, this movie is a little bit like a really serious, legally blonde kind of situation yeah. where it's out, out of uh fish out of water kind of character in like a an extreme circumstance and they're playing like the ditzy blonde and then they adjust and then like oh gay guys we call it you go full l woods where it's like she changes her life and then she has that montage where she like finally starts to study and like work hard and then suddenly (laughs) she's this amazing lawyer it's like this it's like in every gay meme on instagram it's like you call it your l woods moment because it's your montage of getting your shit together and so you know, I never really realized that Legally Blonde actually kind of really takes from Private Benjamin because this is a very similar sort of narrative. Right. Um, and anyway, I I absolutely love 
Goldie Hawn, and I loved her in this movie, and uh, it's something that I would definitely be watching again. Um, uh, I did think me. it was really funny. <laughs> I do think it was really funny, though, that um, the war games that they were playing was just like a sexy sleepover, you know, where it it's like so, they... It was so absurd, man. This movie is so <laughs> insane for so many reasons. And yeah, I mean, that's... But yeah, that's why I... Oh, I no, I know. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the, the, anything else. Um, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it just... I do have to agree with you where like it just sort of seems like we established a lot of things with the character and then suddenly it's like we flip back to the beginning for the last 30 minutes. That Emily in Paris moment was really stupid and I really didn't understand why we needed that. But I think maybe the producers were like, oh, it's a woman's movie. So she'll be whisked off. Sorry, I spit at you. Uh, She'll be whisked off to Paris and fall in love because that's what a woman would love. I don't know. Like I'm assuming, but like. I would love to see like a remake of this movie get a little bit more serious. Skip the fucking Paris bullshit. Maybe she goes to war. You know, yeah. like I would love to see like a grizzled Private Benjamin, like yeah. a like a rough and tough sort of private, less campy. Yeah, yeah, less just going on and on and like without any direction. Not unlike <laughs> Golden Khan's character if she was having a conversation. With <laughs> So, so you were not a fan, yeah? Uh, not as much of a fan. I, I, you know, I give it to Goldie Hawn. I think you know she did great, and I and I do see your point of her kind of showing two sides and growing out of that. So I think it could be a pivot movie. But yeah, for me, it was this was the one I actually nodded away on a bit on. Ah, well, I did yeah, uh, one last thing. that I'll just say that um, uh, she loses. I, I did, yeah. I thought it was kind of weird how she like loses herself again after she's already become like tough and grizzled from the army, and then she starts dyeing her hair to accommodate like the way that the French fiance like likes his women with red mm-hmm. hair so then she starts to change like everything about herself and then like she even starts taking commands like a dog because at one point he's like sit and then she like sits and that I thought maybe they could have explained a little bit more and explored a little bit more of the character because I was confused I was like I thought you were like this tough military like badass person and then now and then I think maybe it was supposed to, to the audience be like, this is a test of her character to see how much she's changed. And then eventually she gets it by punching him out at the wedding. Yeah. It, listen, sure, there's a lot of script problems, but I just think that Goldie Hawn sold it. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Uh, no, let's let's move on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let us talk about the Best Picture winner that year, but specifically the performance of Mary Tyler Moore for the movie Ordinary People. So um, I do think it's really funny that Timothy Hutton won the uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor when he is just the movie. He's the lead. The whole movie is about him. And I always, I love category fraud. I talk about it a lot on this podcast. Yeah, so. it's real. Well, like the one uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And, like, every single person that was in the movie was nominated for a supporting. And then, like, one supporting. And you're like, well, then who the fuck was the lead? I don't understand. But anyway, again, different podcast. (laughs) So, very quickly, uh, the movie Ordinary People. uh, The accidental death of an older son of an affluent family deeply strains the relationships among the bitter mother, the good-natured father, and the guilt-ridden younger son. And Mary Tyler Moore plays the mother. So up until this point in history, people had only known her for sitcoms and for the Mary Tyler Moore show, for example. And she's always smiling and she's always, excuse me, very, uh, everything's always very light. It's always very, very funny. So this movie and this role is a complete departure from what she was used to playing. And uh, at one point, at some point in her career, whenever she was doing the press tour, 
for this movie and people were talking about how she was quote and she obviously resents this description a bitch in the movie she was like well I don't think that as an actor I should always be playing uh, the same type of character over and over again because if that was going to be my career then I just simply would never be an actor Mm -hmm. and I think people are always shocked by actors whenever they have range like it almost seems like Meryl Streep can do it and then nobody else can because if then then if they do we have to just like catapult launch Oscars at them being like wow I can't believe it but that's kind of the whole point of acting is that you're playing someone else and you're supposed to have this range but with Mary Tyler Moore people were genuinely shocked about this movie because she's a very cold-hearted woman that's trying to cope with a very serious situation yeah people weren't used to seeing this um, I'll just get into a couple of facts before we talk about the movie specifically. So, uh, Timothy Hutton's dad actually died before filming this movie. And he like said that he actually never used that pain for the character's performance, which why wouldn't you? But, okay. All right. Sure. He said he still won the Oscar, whatever. Um, and this movie, uh, during whenever it was filming, Mary Tyler Moore's sister died of an overdose. And uh, shortly after this movie came out, her son accidentally shot himself. Uh, So this movie and the narrative, it was all very similar, like what was going on with her life, what what was going on in the movie. Um, Gene Hackman was supposed to play uh, the father, father, uh, Donald, Donald Sutherland, who, yes, it eventually went to Donald Sutherland, which I have never seen that soft side of Donald Sutherland oh, before. Yeah. And he was, he was great. Great soft dad. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Gene Hackman, uh, was in line to play this, but then he dropped out uh, for reshoots of Superman two. <laughs> um, this is the first film for Robert Redford as a director and uh, Mary Tyler Moore became very annoyed with the compliment, boy, you were a bitch in that movie, because obviously she didn't see it that way. And at the time, Timothy Hutton became the youngest actor to win Best Supporting uh, Actor uh, at 20 years old. But uh, I don't really think that he had much of a movie career, or at least he hasn't recently. I can't think of anything that Timothy Hutton has been in. He's around on TV, I think. Okay. I think he's more so he's TV. still kicking around. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, uh, I, can't, I can't even tell you what, but yeah, he's he's still doing it. Uh, I got a shout out to the the mentally ill makeup he had for this movie. Just like the classic <laughs> white face and like gray eyeshadow under eyes and like, oh, he's clearly mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> he just needs one of those like bandages around his head that they would yeah. always do, right? Um, so, okay. Specifically to Mary Tyler Moore in this movie, she... She is emotionally unavailable during like this kid's entire uh, journey of like adjusting to the death of his brother. And she also keeps trying to maintain uh, appearances by keeping up with the Joneses and constantly just pretending like nothing happened, which ultimately is pushing away Donald Sutherland, her husband and Timothy Hutton, her son. And Timothy Hutton starts to be like, well, you know, she hates me. And generally speaking most mothers in movies i mean especially like in, again like up until this time for roles for women seeing a mother being played this way i'm sure that that was probably very shocking and then to see mary tyler moore the comedian this way it's like whoa so this was like a huge departure for her 
Oh yeah, and I think um, I think it was a great example uh, that needs to be shown of the expectations of women and and mothers that yes. that not all women are built to be this uh, maternal huggy. You know, there's plenty. If we want to get into like behavioral types and want to go down the Myers Briggs road, like she definitely struck me as a an INTJ, which is actually my 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 partner is as well. And these people, they have. You know, generally, it's a very specific, int- like introverted um, way uh, of life, and it doesn't involve a lot of like hugging. Not you know, there's people out there who aren't huggers, and there's mm. different levels of that. But it was interesting to see a mom who, yeah, that just wasn't how they were built up. They weren't meant to be that way, and the reaction is always quite negative. Like, how dare this person? But, yeah, you know, some people are built like that, right? And they don't fit that expectation that maybe most women. Uh, provide, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, and also, Timothy Hutton's character, their tension, which you think, oh, these guys hate each other, but they actually bring it up in the movie, uh, is their similarities. The reason why they can't, it's like see, it's like two you know notes or opposite magnets. They, they, they both freak out. They both get really emotional at things, mm-hmm. and they just bounce off each other, each other which I've experienced mm-hmm. uh, in my relationship with my mother, like someone who's very the same, so we can really just get at it. And I thought they did a really great job of, of playing off that. And Timothy Hutton, too, showing kind of aspects who did a really, I thought he did a really great job of showing the influences of Mary Tyler, of his mother's character and of Donald Sutherland's. Like he was, his emotional state was kind of a product of these two parents. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a really, really good job in that. Yeah. There was really nice conflict. And a lot of people that see this movie, like I even, uh, recent reviews that I've read from user reviews on IMDb, people are saying how realistic this movie felt to a yeah. lot of people. And um, it, I'm sure that's something like this is probably very refreshing to watch. And you're right, that whole scale of how there is this role that women are expected to constantly fill. And then when they don't, it's like, well, she's a bitch or something like this. But in yeah. this movie, it uh, it doesn't present her that way. It just sort of presents her in a very realistic sort of way because I know plenty of women that are like that. And it resonated with me quite a bit. And it was an extremely realistic performance that, again, audiences are probably not used to at this time. I feel like... Um, it's kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that it's really wonderful the way that she's always so awkward around her son and super uncomfortable around her son because, of course, during this time, mental health wasn't a thing, right? Yeah. And, like, taking antidepressants wasn't a thing. Therapy, like, that was like a, you don't talk about that, right? Which they address in the movie, yeah. yeah the, she's, she's trying to hide it, the fact that, that, that the son's going. She gets mad at, at the father for bringing it up to friends. You know? Oh, yeah, and I just think about, like, my grandparents who had a very hard life and, like, uh, how I'm certain, I mean, they've, they've since passed, but, like, they would never have dealt with any sort of emotional or mental issue that they were maybe experiencing and I'm sure that this type of movie and this type of conflict I'm sure it probably sparked a lot of conversations with a lot of parents and children and stuff like that I know that uh, my grandfather was um, extremely depressed uh, and I also know that you know he was never on like antidepressants he was never on he never went to therapy he never because they just they didn't believe in that stuff they thought Mm -hmm. it was just because you're like you're being a baby like you're just being a little bitch. So like if you go to therapy, it's like it's a sign of weakness. Yeah. You know, so this um, was probably very groundbreaking for the time. And uh, I think every moment that she had with her son was like an Oscar sort of moment. And uh, I also love the way that she reacted to whenever Donald Sutherland sort of says at the end, like, 
I'm leaving you. I can't be in this relationship. You've pushed us away so much. I cannot connect with you anymore. You're not who the person that I married anymore. And the way that she handles it is very interesting because she's not exactly devastated. She's upset. But then when she goes upstairs and she's having a private moment, then she lets it out. Yeah, that's where she can actually feel, but never in front of anyone. Even the husband who's telling her that he's going to leave her. Yeah. It's it's only for her. It's like she can't share that with anyone else. Yeah. It took that little fuse that lit upstairs, but it looked like she was strong and composed, I guess, like the face that everyone's supposed to put on. Yeah. And then, yeah, once she gets up into the bedroom, it, it it's halfway through packing that it hit like she allows herself. It hits her and, and then she reacts. But you never see that part of her. Um, at least in terms of sadness. You see frustration and anger, but sadness isn't something that she shares with anybody. Exactly. Um, And it's just, I think a lot of that stuff is a lot more common than people think, but I think a lot less common in 1981 to Mm -hmm. see on the screen in a a major movie Mm -hmm. is to have like real stuff that people go through, all these, um, that being, you know, well, obviously the name itself, and it's based on a book, I think, but the ordinary people, but it's, you know, a great, great message to show that, uh, that we all, uh, we all know we, Pobody's nerfect. Pobody's <laughs> <laughs> nerfect. Um, I th- also thought it was really interesting that Cora Crawley from Downton Abbey, Elizabeth McGovern was in this movie. This was her film debut. Um, I do think that, well, I think I wrote down 53 minutes into the movie and it's mostly just Timothy Hutton and I'm just sort of wishing that there was more Mary Tyler Moore. Not very much of her at all. Yeah, she right. She didn't get a lot of screen time. If she was a supporting role, I'd be like, totally. Yeah. Um, she probably would have won if she was a supporting role. Actually, maybe that was a mistake. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore, though, in this movie, it could have been a very one-note performance where it's very cold and just like, oh, like, get away from me. But... She adds a a, a a necessary level of depth that makes the movie work, that if it wasn't there, this would be just really just Timothy Hutton, like, freaking out all the time. Also, I'm still unclear. Why did the kid die? Like, they were on a boat in the middle of the perfect storm, and then it flipped, and then he just was like, oh, I'm gonna get He did now. just let go. And then just, fuck it. Like, full, like, Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic, just like, I gotta, you know. I gotta go. And then she <laughs> I just, gotta go. You know? And it, I that I thought was, I would I would have loved to have maybe know why. I mean, I can accept that the, that it's dead, and that's the whole point of the movie. I just, or that he's dead, and that it's the whole point of the movie. I just <laughs> Well, that one know. scene, the flashback, they just could have done a better job job of showing him exhausted as yeah. opposed to just putting his hands up and being like okay i'm done i'm done yeah because uh, it because then they do deal with it with the um with the psychiatrist telling him you were you were uh, all the guilt that hutton's character had of you were just strong enough to hold on you were stronger than him and that you shouldn't fault yourself for it but they did not depict that clearly in the flashback they just showed one brother yeah giving the fuck up yeah i know just like uh this is how we died i i love it um I think a really good moment for Mary Tyler Moore's character in this movie was the freak out on the golf course where they have an argument in front of their friends. Mm-hmm. So obviously for her character, that's like a big fucking deal because like she doesn't do that in front of her friends. But yeah. this is sort of like the boiling point and seeing her freak out. And then even the way that like her friends kind of hand, it, just, it all seemed very real, very like, oh, we'll just pretend like it's not happening kind of moment. Yeah. Um I th- yeah, I think she nailed every single scene. And I love the conflict between her and her son and how, yeah, that relationship between mother and son is not this overly affectionate, warm kind of relationship. I think it brings up a great point that sometimes parents, even as their kids are children, 
don't want to spend time with their kids. Mm-hmm. And the that was what the argument was over, was uh, they were thinking about it would be great to have a golf vacation. And he said, oh, yeah, Conrad. And then that's when she gets upset. She's like, why? And I mean, the way she she was pretty definitely bitchy about it. She's like, why do you always have to do that? Why do you have to ruin it by bringing him up? <laughs> Clearly some issues that, that, you know, her character has to, has to, had to work out to get upset that he mentions his name. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was wild. I think a great performance. I gotta say. Um, yeah. What was the line? The best part of you was buried with our son. Yeah. I wrote that one down too. Uh, so that's, harsh that is a wolf kind of line um that was the that was the like yeah the real hardcore strings of the movie that you buried the best part of you as if you buried all of your love with him yeah oh what a great line it's a great line and a great performance and i i just wish there was more of it yeah there wasn't a lot they needed needed more 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 um okay well do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance before we move on um i i I think what i mentioned i like how uh understated it was like you said the performance was there she brought a lot to it it could have been simpler but even in the in that i think a lot of the tension the silent tension at the beginning um she did a lot of a lot of really great underacting yeah you know she had her freakouts, but with that that holding it in that that tension without showing much i thought she did an excellent job well i remember because i don't ever watch like trailers or anything like that i just I'm like, what do I have to watch? I just put it on and you watch it. And then yeah. it's, it's more fun that way because you're just like, what is this going to be? <laughs> yeah. And I remember just the whole time thinking like, what is her problem? Like I was like, this, her son has died, but then that's what made it really interesting because if she was that like fawning, like, Oh my God, I'm my son. And uh, like, it just, well, there's no movie. We've seen that before, you know? Yeah. So it, I, I just, it was really refreshing to watch. It was jarring to watch initially, too, to see the way she was, exactly that reaction of like, who is this bitch? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you find out, you know, and then, yeah. which is what's, what's good about a good movie yeah. is it gives you a reaction and then, and then takes you through the reasons why. 100%. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one, I'm very curious to see what your reaction is going to be about. So let us talk about the movie Resurrection with Ellen Burstyn. So I'm a huge fan of The Exorcist. This is like one of my formative movies of like when I was a kid because my sister thought it would be so funny to show it to me when I was like eight. I could not sleep for a month. I slept at the foot of my parents' bed for like a month. Like this movie traumatized me. So sure. I have this weird obsession with Ellen Burstyn. Like she probably should have won for Requiem for a Dream and even though it went to absolutely, you know, even though it went to uh, Julia Roberts for um, Aaron Brockovich, even though I think on that episode I did pick Julia Roberts because I love Julia Roberts, like not ironically, like I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Ellen Burstyn in Resurrection. So I was expecting like a horror movie, yeah, because I'm like, oh, like The Exorcist, right? And I think that when this movie came out, a lot of people were expecting that as well. And it's not really like that. It's a movie where she has a near-death experience, and then she has a very low-budget special effects <laughs> healing skills yeah, and powers. Well, near-death experience via light smoke machine and a yeah. couple, couple lasers <laughs> yeah. and people walking in front of the light. Yes. Uh, it's great. And, and so, I mean, her husband... Uh, it, or was it her? Hu- it was her husband, right? Or her boyfriend? Uh, she bought a car for him and then flipped it off a cliff. Yeah, I believe they were married. Yeah, she got him a fancy car, and mm-hmm. then they're driving around. Um, I gotta say, some of the dialogue in this film uh, is my. I gotta say, in terms of just watchability, sitting down and being entertained, 
this uh, this was my movie. <laughs> so right. So out of the five, but I do. I'm a real. I'm a. I'm a big horror buff, and although this wasn't horror, this is definitely uh, had the real feeling of a genre movie. Yeah. You know, just and and when the lines are bad, they're they're still perfect too. So they're yeah they're driving up and down some L.A. mountain highway, uh, and he says. Uh, what does he say? Uh, he was just like a series of good. He was like, what a great day. What a great present. What a great birthday. What a great life. <laughs> that was word for word. I am <laughs> quoting, the, I'm quoting the film. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know that something's going to happen. Like it's one of these lead ups of like, oh, wow, they're, they're really setting up how great everything is. Yeah. You know, and I knew he was going to die immediately after that line uh, via kid on a scooter. Skateboard on a skateboard is inexplicably riding directly out into what we then find out was a massive cliff. Yeah, see, (laughs) because they they steered out of the way to get away from the kid who was skateboarding off of his like front driveway. Yeah, but then clearly this kid head was beelining it for the cliff as well. Like, who has these like residential homes right right in front of these cliffs? The geography for me doesn't doesn't work. I I was just like, do I wrote down? I was like, do they not have brakes? Like they could have because he was pretty far away and oh, then yeah. they were just like cliff right yeah. um but of course without that we wouldn't we wouldn't have a we movie. wouldn't have the film um so just a couple of facts before we jump right into it i actually need to double check the pronunciation of this before i do i will say that uh martin scorsese was reportedly healed uh from asthma uh with uh, from the healer in real life that inspired this film okay so that's that's sort of that's sort of interesting. Uh, yeah, but he's a tiny guy. His lungs are so small that anyone can heal them if they put their hands <laughs> over them. Uh, and the other fact about this movie is that uh, Ava Legallians, this is her only Oscar-nominated performance and final film. I think she was the grandmother. Oh, oh yeah, the grandma. Yeah. I think. Oh, or the aunt. She was like her great aunt or something. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so... Again, this is another ridiculous movie. Totally insane. Where Ellen Burstyn, or like the lead actress, is really selling it. Um, If I'm honest with you, I am, this is a bit of a spoiler, a little surprised that she was nominated for this movie. (laughs) I hate spoilers on this show. I know that we discussed no split, but like, like, I was just, it, this movie seemed almost campy to me. Like, it didn't seem like a serious movie. It seemed maybe a little cheesy, but maybe that's just because it's a product of its time. I would give it that more. It's 1981. I think they were playing it fairly, fairly uh, straight. Yeah. Th- that they, you know, so to speak, so that they thought in the 80s. They were pr- playing it pretty. Well, listen, she had a, a lot of really amazing moments because she's selling it. She's really, for me, the only reason to watch this film more so than Gloria, because I feel like whenever she's in the hospital, right? I believe she's in the hospital. Like the mm-hmm. way that she looks, the way that she she looks like she's injured, the way that she's acting through the scene. I hated the way I hated the way that they used like her emotionally distant father as like a device to like bring more depth to her character and make her character more interesting. I just didn't care. Oh. I didn't care about her relationship with her father and the inexplicable like conflict that they constantly had. I loved every word that came out of his mouth. <laughs> and not, again, not like almost for the same reason, but I was just again, I just I I was buying it just because I want to I want to screen this movie as oh. like a like a genre film that you would play and have a panel of comics just because there's so much that the film already gives you. I, the, the dad specifically, like his, 
um, his lines, his first line of the film, one of the first lines is, good harvest this year. Yeah, right. And she's yeah. sitting, lying on the bed. Like, that's the first thing he says when he sees that she's not dead. Uh, but then he, he falls it up, with, but with the press of Diesel, just broke even. Hardly even worth the effort. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just trying to make her feel better after being, like, lying nearly dead in bed. Um <laughs> But he uh, he goes on. I'm trying to. I got a few other of his great lines. Um, I mean, will uh, we call them great? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just great in it. Yeah, it's for me. It's that genre. It's like there's there's a. Oh, they're so tacky, but they have like a. Oh yeah, she uh, she finally gives herself the ability to walk later in the film after her like her legs being damaged. <laughs> First thing the dad says is. I expect if you get to walking, you'll be leaving again. Yeah, right. It was... <laughs> Everyone's overjoyed, and yeah. that's what the dad just spits out at the end. But that's why I was like, oh, like, it's so... It was such a device. Like, it was so frustrating. Like, oh, yeah, it's just, like, the perfect kind of cheese for me. Well aged. 40 years. Sure. Oh, 100%. But, like, I, it's, it's funny because, like, the movie... Again, like, I'm not watching a trailer for this. It went from... I thought it was going to be like the movie Ghost or something. And then it's like, oh, a near-death experience. And then we're going to be dealing with spookies and shit. But then it just goes like full Sweet Home Alabama. And I was like not expecting that. Because, you know, you have the gas station attendant... Right, that's coming in a very warm, a very... I was kind of expecting one of those slasher movie gas station attendants warning the sexy teens, like, you better not go up there. Yeah, I was wondering what he was going to become. And then he's like, I got a two-headed snake. I'm like, oh, she's about to get, like, assaulted. Yeah. It's like a two-headed... I gotcha. And then... No, it literally was a two-headed snake. That he brought out for her. Yeah, and then you're like... Ten cents. Symbolic, yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, it's great to touch two at a snake. And then when she... uh, But right before he leaves, he upsells. And he's like, also, I got a humdinger of a a tale about a um, First Nations, we'll say. That's not what he said. Uh, Story guaranteed to curl your toes and keep yourself awake for for a week. (laughs) Fifteen... And and then he pregnant paused because he thought it was a good pitch. And then he goes, fifteen cents. (laughs) Let's go brown. I think that's really funny that you mentioned that line about the father because I wrote the exact same thing. It was like, I can walk again. Isn't that great? And then it's like, you know, I guess you'll be hitting the old dusty trail. Yeah. He's just the worst. He's the best worst dad I think I've ever seen in the movie. <laughs> but that's why I felt he was so out of place for me. But I do agree with you that it was very comedy. Oh, so funny. Yeah. Like the fu- so much funnier than Private Benjamin, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, not intentionally, though. But he also, yeah. And then um, when he she's sleeping with the one of the guys that she saves, mm-hmm. uh, which she's, I don't know how old she is, but she's uh, like, she was married before. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's a woman at this point. You're probably mid-30s, 40s. Yeah. And the father comes to the little uh, guest house that's on the farm where she's staying with and the guy leaves. So evidence that they slept together and, and he just calls her, uh, you ain't nothing but trash. I always have, always will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. She's like, daddy. I know. <laughs> I, I One thing I did appreciate about the film, though, was that it, it, the conflict was that it wasn't getting Jesus-y. It was like a spiritual power that she had, not like a divine Jesus-y sort of power, which created conflict with Sam Shepard, the like local bad boy that like she ended up... Do you remember when he shot her? Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, the writing was on the wall when he was holding She that. was in the middle of a stand-up special. She was telling her one-liners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She had and then he crowd. just shows up and literally shoots her. And then she's like, don't hurt him. It's fine. Yeah, he's just <laughs> religious. He's misunderstood. Yeah, it was that that I thought was like kind of really 
Oh, it got really problematic really quickly. Oh, bananas. He, yeah. And he shoots her because he, he thinks she's the second coming of Christ or the messenger, but he's mad at her because she won't say that. But then <laughs> but then he's shooting her because he says, like, he will reveal himself. So I don't think, you no, know, like, the, the connection this guy's making yeah. to, to why <laughs> shooting her will help bring it about, like, he can't, um, yeah. A bit, a bit of a stretch, bit of a bad, uh, best bad boyfriend of the five films. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, also, another line from the father after he calls her a whore. Uh, another device for an emotional um, conflict between the two of them. Uh, he describes her as, oh, you're up to your old tricks again. You're just an old bitch in heat. Yeah. Right? That, to me, was also an inexplicable situation where I was like, do we need this? Because I know that you loved it for the comedy purposes, but for me, I could have fully done without it because I was like, what is this adding? Okay, bye, Dad. We'll see you later. And then he just dies, and then she's like, I could heal you if you want. And he's like, I'm good. I'm with God or something. I don't know. But when he died, I didn't give a shit that he died. I was like, cool. Like, you can go now. Yeah. Um, no, he was he was insane. But, you know, uh, give her credit, though, for those healing scenes because it was, there were no special effects. No. It wasn't this, like, crazy computer, digital, anything. It was literally just her physically, like, doing the magic. And whenever there was that woman with, like cerebral palsy or what the remember that disease where her limbs were all curled up yeah i'm not sure exactly what it was but she gets in the bed and then she kind of heals her and then she kind of takes on the ailments with her body uh, with ellen burston i mean and then she's on the floor and she sold it to me oh big time yeah i because like that could also just be yeah, exactly right like really troubling to watch super bad but they uh yeah well it was funny though seeing that woman who initially started with it and realized oh she's gonna heal her so which just in my own mind was immediately like oh this woman is now yeah you know looking like she has cerebral palsy but she'll obviously <laughs> like come back to to be healed so yeah just in the back of my head thinking how problematic that oh, oh there are so many yikes moments in these movies but i'm like you know it's 1981 you know like it's a product of its time. Um, I think a really nice moment, too, was whenever she was saying goodbye to her grandmother for the last time. Um, I just feel like Ellen Burstyn is an amazing actress who Agreed. can take kind of a eh, script and go like, oh, wow, because she sold it for me. There were so many layers to it. I actually said at the beginning of this conversation that I don't understand how she got nominated. And now that actually we're talking about it, I'm a little bit more like, actually, you know what? No, I do get it. I understand like why she had been nominated i understand why uh but it i guess the reason why what motivated me to say that originally was just because of the fact that like it's just so cheesy oh like the this, movies yeah it's, it's, <laughs> the movie's trash but it's, it's, trash. it's my kind of my kind of trash oh i I, just, I love it esco brown yeah the guy at the at the gas station which you know comes in later um but one thing i also like aside from his uh hard pitches on a two-headed snake and a humdinger of, of a tail um <laughs> was he uh at the end right before she leaves uh, he tells her, uh, he, he, you know, says that everything's going to be all right. It's all about like have love in your life and heart. And, and then he goes, and if the world out there is going to give you lemons. And then he puts his hand on her head and says, you just go make a big old batch of lemons. <laughs> and then she cries. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it was weird because he said some really sweet stuff, like leave your heart and life open. But when it was the cliche out of life gives you lemons, make lemonade, that's what broke her character. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's what like brought her to tears as yeah. he touched her forehead. Yeah. Um, and then he quotes like one verse of the Bible, which I guess is connected to the lemons lemonade thing. Uh, Book of Brown, chapter one, uh, verse one. Uh, yeah, it was wild. Good old Esco Brown, who comes in later, well, uh, at the end of the film, or his the theme of him. But then it's unclear at the end, like you assume that he dies and then she took over. Maybe she killed him. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but then she becomes the gas station attendant, yeah. warning sexy teens, you better not go up there to yeah. in slasher movies. And she's aged because she has gray hair now. Yeah. So you can tell that time has passed. Oh, yeah. And uh, then she... Uh, heals the the kid with cancer, and uh, I just thought it was really funny that she ended up being the gas station attendant in the end, and uh, gray hair to suggest the time has passed. And I, I interesting sort of way to end the movie. I I wouldn't have seen it going that way, but interesting way to end the movie. Well, there's a lot of tension in the film we haven't talked about, but about her boyfriend and just the town itself, like the way they react to her fixing that first nosebleed. They all right. stand back as if she's a witch. I know, you know? I know. Because yeah, everyone's right. like, the doctor's freaking out. He's like, I don't have any coagulants. And no, like, I guess the kid must have been hemophiliac or something. They were gonna, weren't going to be able to stop bleeding. And you can see there's tension in the town of getting really mad at her that she's not claiming that this is God that gave her these powers. And she insists that she doesn't know uh, which I thought was an interesting message in the movie of like, oh, maybe good things can come from something outside of God. And and she's like, maybe it is, maybe it doesn't. But she has to kind of get out of town, get away from all this tension. Uh, and she talks about it a bit and ends up at a gas station. As far as I can tell, not that far outside of town. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> it's just like the next down gas the street. down the street. <laughs> but never somehow like frees herself from that interaction and of all those people, townspeople again. Um but also, you, as to your point, you said she's cured this kid of cancer for this final scene of the film. What I also liked, and this is the kind of stuff that makes me like these movies for whatever reason, um, is just how unrealistic it was. She said, uh, she actually, uh, oh no, where is it? Um, oh, well, good time to pause while that truck backs up. <laughs> um Oh, yeah. So the way that she gets to heal this kid, what you think is she wants to, she sells the parents on a on a flower garden she has. So she goes, why don't you go take a look at it? Well, uh, well Bobby and I chew the fat here. Yeah. <laughs> this old lady at the gas station pitches the parents with a dying child to go, why don't you just leave me and the kid alone I for know. a little bit? I thought the same thing. <laughs> which was very strange. And then she doesn't even use that time to do it, waits till they get back right. and says, can I have, how about a, uh, how about a hug? Hugs the kid, holds the kid for far too long. I know, yeah. Even and gives a moaning sound, I guess, cause taking in the cancer take a lot. So she actually kind of rubs him and goes, mmm. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> just and the parents just there's a several moments where she's healing people and everyone's just like, Yeah, well I guess this is Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> just Nothing weird here at all. Yeah, totally kosher. Um okay. So let us talk about our winner, Sissy Spacek in the movie The Coal Miner's Daughter. So this is the um, autobiographical story of uh, Loretta Lynn, country slanger. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, uh, so lots to cover here, but basically um, up until this point, 
actresses playing real people wasn't really a thing. Like, now, this is how you win an Oscar. Like, Renee Zellweger won for Judy, or, um, like, every single role that Meryl Streep has done, or, like, uh, basically, movies now, it's, like, a biography of someone. And it's, like, that is how people win Oscars these days. You know, like... um, uh, Gary Oldman just went for the darkest hour playing uh, Churchill. You know, it's mm-hmm. like everyone has to play someone now to win something. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of like Oscar, like an, for sure Oscar nomination. Um, but up until this point in Oscar history, this, Sissy, what Sissy Space I did, this wasn't very common. You did have Sally Field and Norma Ray. And that was a big deal because she was like a TV star and then she like won her Oscar and then like totally changed her career. And she was like the first person to do that. And she was playing a real life person. But Norma Ray isn't known like Loretta Lynn is known where people can have something to compare it to, like the way that she speaks, like her her accent and like all that kind of stuff. Right. So Sissy Spacek playing someone, everybody was like, oh, how is this going to go? Loretta Lynn actually, before the movie, before it was even announced, she decided that Sissy Spacek was playing her. She said that she had like a pile of headshots. And then when she found Sissy Spacek, she was like, she is going to play me in a movie. But Sissy Spacek had already been nominated for the movie Carrie. So she was relatively known at this point, you Mm know. Um, And I'll just get a few of these facts before we jump into the movie. Um, So... Uh, Sissy Spacek actually accompanied Loretta Lynn on tour to study her, uh, Loretta Lynn, like on and off stage. Um, This was a very rare Oscar event where Loretta Lynn was actually in the audience for the win of someone playing them. And Hmm. Robert De Niro played Jake LaMotta, who was also in the audience when he won for Raging Bull. Oh, the same year. So it was like this unprecedented moment in Oscar history. Um, Loretta, or Sissy, Sissy Spacek and uh, Beverly D'Angelo, who I love, by the way, uh, did all of their own singing. Uh, Sissy Spacek was actually very conflicted to take the role, um, even though basically Loretta Lynn had like already pre-announced on TV that she was playing her. Uh, and Sissy Spacek was very unsure if she wanted to play her but then she was looking for a sign, and so she went for a drive, and then the song The Coal Miner's Daughter came on the radio, and she was like, well, there it is. Well, there you go. Uh, this is one of the few roles, as I mentioned off the top, that Meryl Streep was turned down for. I think she's been turned down for three. I think the other one was Kate Blanchett in Elizabeth, and I cannot remember what the other one was, but I know that was one of them as well. Um a controversy about this movie is that Loretta Lynn always said that she was married to Doolittle, or do, as she calls him in the movie all the time, uh, was married at 13 years old. Gross. And <laughs> okay. uh, it actually turns out that that is not true according to her birth certificate, which falsifies Loretta Lynn's story and all of the books that were written about her life. And also, it was illegal in Kentucky to marry someone under the age of 15. Um, which great, let's get that age a little bit higher. Sure, but uh, yeah, in the forties, it was just like the moment a girl hits puberty, it's like it's time, right? So that's gross. Yeah. So that being said, so I mean, I think uh, that to that point, I don't think that you should ever listen to a celebrity and believe all their. I I don't believe celebrities ever. First of all, I because uh, I also am a very cynical person. But uh, anyway, so that was just a controversy about. Um, Loretta Lynn and what did her birth certificate say was she older or younger she was older by two years oh, so she, she wasn't was married at 13 she was married at 15, 15 so it's still gross yeah um 
<laughs> that she was trying to pitch that as like a. Oh, I don't know. It was just this controversy spicy. that was surrounding the movie, I guess. But uh, maybe it worked for the campaign for Sissy to win. But um, okay, so Sissy Spacek in this movie. The one thing that they said, and I totally agree with, because I watched videos of Loretta Lynn. Holy shit, Sissy Spacek nailed the fucking voice. I do a lot of voices in my act. I do a lot of voices in general. I always have. So I have a tremendous, tremendous amount of respect for somebody that can not only do the voice, but like also act in that voice perfectly. Hold it for a movie. Yeah, not just, not just a couple lines for a sketch or something. Yeah. 100%. And she absolutely fucking nailed it. And uh, I was a little disappointed that you didn't hear any words like varmin or tarnation. I kind of <laughs> wish that was in there a little bit. Uh, but I have seen this movie like 400 times. Okay. It's like one of my favorite movies. Okay, yeah. um, when you said that you wanted to do this year, I was like, yes, because I always <laughs> am looking for an excuse to watch it. Um, Tommy Lee Jones in this movie is hot question mark because he does kind of have that Tommy Lee Jones face on like a professional athlete's body. So I'm conflicted. And there's also blonde, a fake blonde in it. And then also like orange at one point. I wouldn't call it red. I would call it orange. It looked like paint. Yeah. yeah it, it I don't didn't... know if that was his natural hair color. I don't know if he'd be, but I know he's a, he's got dark, like black hair almost. It was, it was weird. Um, but Anyway, specifically to Sissy SpaceX performance, uh, so am- amazing at playing this innocent 13-year-old, or technically 15, but 13-year-old in the movie, I believed she was 13. I believed in her innocence. I believed that she had no idea what the hell was going on. And then when she kind of gets the hang of like being a wife and having kids and making dinner, because apparently she's so awful at cooking, right? Um, she... Still seems kind of a little immature, but she has like a firmer grasp of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then when she really matures into her career and what she is capable of and what she can do as uh, a performer and as like a woman, uh, it's also very believable. Like she really controls the way that the character comes across as immature and then mature perfectly in my Mm -hmm. opinion i believed that she was loretta lynn i don't i'm not watching sissy spacek i believe i'm watching loretta lynn Mm -hmm. and i don't know anything about loretta lynn but i believed watching it that she wasn't sissy spacek that she was loretta lynn and i i'm on board for this journey again i said i've seen this movie a million times i never get sick of watching it and now i'm curious to see or hear uh, about what you thought about this movie. Um, I watched this movie this morning. I intentionally <laughs> wanted to make have this one fresh in my head. It seemed just because it was the, the original winner. Uh, I I thought it was great. I, okay. I, I agree with you that uh, uh, Sissy Spacek does an incredible job of balancing uh, like this immaturity and also to show that you know some people can be really good at one thing and kind of vaulted into a status of a superstar. But still, you know, we all have our, our strengths and weaknesses. So that 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 despite her maturing and becoming a, like a, and someone who stands up for herself throughout the film in many ways, um, that little girl's still there too. Mm-hmm. Like even through the, out the end of the film. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, I, it was interesting watching five movies for the purpose of this podcast um, with of best actresses. Cause then naturally there's just, again, there was more, like their honeymoon night was basically rape. Uh, oh, 100%. <laughs> not basically. It yeah, was. 100%. Uh, Very difficult to watch. So that was, and that was like, obviously this is a biography, so you're just watching something that happened. So wild to see in a movie or in a story that's told where like, where they 
yeah, that happens. There, there's rape in the movie. There's there's hitting. The, the, the two things the dad asks for is not to hit her or take her out of town. He he, he hits her like that. Like, Immediately. Like, yeah. His hand couldn't get on her face fast enough <laughs> after promising the father he wouldn't do it yeah. and tries to kind of blame it on her. But they, these two are like throughout this film are, are sticking it out, which, you know, is not necessarily a good message, but it's a real story. You know, it's something that actually happened, which is just interesting to see. Ugh, you know what what keeps people together um mm. and uh and i thought because their relationship's not perfect no and that's what makes it interesting yeah, yeah. like there is there's something in fact they don't even really highlight they, they, i guess they touch on a bit of the sweetness and how the two support each other um but yeah neither of them nor the relationship are, are perfect at all uh and so that was uh you know i don't know i wonder if like you how many, I just, how much assault is in movies when you're watching Best Actress? Like, a lot. I would, yeah. It's yeah. just like when, it, if it's about what a woman's going through, then there's, you know, which is real and something's got to be done. But I found that, yeah, that was a. Well, we just watched I Tonya, and that's yeah. with Margot Robbie, and like, she can fucking take a punch in that movie. I think the fact that she got hit so much and, and stabbed in the movie, shot at. I think the Academy voters were like, wow, like she can take a punch, like give her an Oscar nomination. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of violence towards women in in this podcast for sure. Uh, But I guess the grittiness and the reality of it brings audiences, uh, they become impressed by that. And that's probably what leads to the Oscar nomination because it's so like, have you ever seen the girl with the dragon tattoo? Yeah. Like that's a dark, right? Um, But I think one of my one of my favorite kind of moments is when her dad dies and she goes to the funeral and then they bury him and then Boo picks her up on that like tractor thing and they go up the hill. And then you see this moment in her character where she realizes that her life with Dew and her kids, that's her family now because her she always describes herself as the coal miner's daughter. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly her dad is dead. And then you see this sort of inner monologue that she has where she realizes that like, it's just me now. And, and this is my life now. And this is my family because she's so kind of resistant to everything and uh, getting on with her own life. Because I think that she's just always like, no, but I am just this small town kind of, you know, white trash coal miner's daughter situation. But then she... Um, realizes that now she has to carve her own sort. It's it was a really nice moment on the tractor, is what I'm saying. I yeah. I I got I understood the moment, and I think that she did it very very well. It's like these little subtleties that Sissy Spacek is like. So, have you ever seen the movie In the Bedroom? No, that's an incredible performance by her as well. Also, Oscar nominated for that. Um, I just. I, I really I really like this movie and I really like her in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I thought she's great. Great to see someone come from a small place and then get bigger. I also like how, despite the bad stuff that happens to her in this movie, she is um, very much in control. Like if Dewey hits her, she hits back. Like there's, mm-hmm. she doesn't. She has this. There is that little girl, but there's always um, there's always a lot of pushback from her, and she, as much as she can, I think, through a lot of movie, like really, you know, tries to advocate for herself and, you know, except for she gets exhausted at one point and, you know, really can't, can barely, can't sing. She tells the whole 10,000 people that she's like, just can't, can't, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. She's running, uh, running on empty. But I do, like, I like the, sh- I like watching, like, the shit that she gives to, like, they're, they're both throw- the disc jockey. 
when she like has the tantrum when they refuse they're like oh i played it your record and then they find the envelope that's unopened and then she has that tantrum yeah like she just she's you know she's got she's got some some fire in yeah her. and uh and yeah it's just interesting to see she doesn't play she's not the she's not playing a victim um she's playing a woman yeah. who's been through, who like Arguably, a lot of the stuff that happened in the movie, you could say, is victimized. But yeah, at least in the movie, like she's not taking it that way. It's a woman who's going through a set of experiences. Yeah, you know, as she grows throughout her life. Um, but it's not like oh, this poor person. It's oh, this person. It's not. It's not taking an opinion uh, so much on what happened to her. It's what happened to her. That's. I didn't think about that. That's actually very true. You're right. There is no sort of victim narrative because they could have easily gone that route. Sure. She's been, yeah. Uh, like, well, I mean, she gets hit like every she couple gets hit. scenes. The honeymoon scene like, is like, yeah, is essentially assault. And I think also one of the best things about this movie, and I think that where a lot of biopics in general fail is like the pacing of the story. Mm-hmm. This one is like, Mwah. like it yeah. is so well paced and it's so well done because it's like each moment and each journey it's like the most significant moments of her narrative and it's done so well that it's like you're like okay now she's friends with Patsy Cline and she's doing this tour all throughout like Tennessee right and Mm -hmm. it's just you're like yeah like it makes sense that we've gotten to this point where sometimes when you watch a lot of these movies you're like hey wait how are you this big famous star now like what happened exactly sometimes they just yeah flip to it you know and I think that uh Beverly D'Angelo playing Patsy Cline. I feel like if she got nominated for a supporting role, I wouldn't have been surprised. Me but neither. She always made such a impression on me because I, 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 again, I've seen this movie so many times, but I always thought she had such a bigger role in this movie. And then when I watched it this time, she's only really in the movie for like ten minutes. Like, yeah, and then she, uh, and then she, yeah, she dies in that plane accident. <laughs> yeah. And I was like. Oh, I for some reason remember her being such a bigger part of the movie. So I guess that's a compliment to Beverly D'Angelo because she clearly had presence in the film. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, hmm. Yeah, I think, okay. Whenever she does become like really burnt out and she has to take a small break, I love that the dynamic between her and do after all this time and all that they've been through like through all of her career i like that she still talks to him like she's 15 Mm, it's cute she maintains that innocence with do but like she's also different and matured with like other people i'm just thinking that like what i'm saying a sissy spacex she just kind of brought this character to life like it was loretta lynn yeah and i just really thought it was very impressive yeah to see did a great job at uh, acting uh, different ways within different people in the film and the characters. She wasn't just being Loretta Lynn acting the same way to everyone. You're right. She really did kind of revert to their, like who she was when they first met mm. um, and could rely on, on her. Like she's, he, you know, there's a scene where in their bed and she's like, she wants him to come on tour with her. And he's like, well, you got to, you know, I need you to help me. And he's like, there's a thousand people racing to help you. And she's like, I want, you know, I want help from you. I want you there. You're yeah. like his support. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely not a perfect relationship, but the, the, yeah, the, the, I think she did uh, a great job at showing. Um, yeah, I guess there wasn't the movie and, and nor did her performance ever ask you to, to have like a strong opinion on what was happening to her. It was just, just look at this. Yeah. Just watch. Right. You know, you're, that's so true. Um, okay, well, I think that the time has come for us to say who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. So you're my guest. Yes. So you will go first. Okay. Okay. I think the Oscar should have gone to... 
Ellen Burstyn. Oh my <laughs> for god! Resurrection. Really? Okay, why? For uh, I mean, like you, I'm a huge Ellen Burstyn fan. Um, I mean, I could, you could give it to Sissy Spacek, but that's obvious. That's easy. She got it. I um, I also think that Sissy Spacek was in a great movie, whereas Resurrection is just the perfect kind of trash that I think it just takes so much to act well within yeah. that movie. Yeah, I think like she overcame so much to like to to. To be quite watchable and to be compelling in a film that's just, you know, just bananas in the way that I love so much. And again, why I said that probably was one of the movies that I just actively watched the most and felt so entertaining. But I love that kind of trash. And, I, and she she climbed up the pile of that that heap and, and, and made it something. <laughs> I agree with you. I do agree with you because, yeah, that movie, there's really not a lot there, but she certainly sells it. Yeah. And she's the only reason to watch that movie because it was just ridiculous. Um, I love that. That's great. Okay. So uh, I think that the Oscar should have gone to. Sissy Spacek for The Coal Miner's Daughter. I yeah. mean, it's a Fritz Bernays for me. It's no question because literally <laughs> I've seen this movie a hundred times. I never get sick of watching it. When you wanted to do this year, I was like, absolutely, just because I would need an excuse to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I think for me, Mary Tyler Moore was a hard second, but frankly, I do think it's a bit of a category fraud, a little bit of more of a supporting role. She just wasn't uh, on screen enough. Wasn't yeah. on screen enough, but I do think that, um, you know, Mary Tyler Moore's character was probably a little bit more... Uh, interesting of the group but I think that overall Sissy Spacek was like just giving and I feel like Sissy Spacek is not celebrated as like one of the greats like Meryl Streep is for example Mm -hmm. because she is like Yes. I mean, the movie Carrie, for example, that is just, that could have been just a friggin' disaster, right? And she was nominated for an Oscar for that. So, like, good for her. So, I think that Sissy Spacek is one of the greatest. I think that this is one of her best. I think that she nails the voice. She nails the accent. She nails her relationships with all of her characters so beautifully. I don't think for a second that I'm watching Sissy Spacek. I believe that I'm watching Loretta Lynn. And again, up until this point, you don't really have a lot of actresses that are playing like real life characters. And she kind of, this is like the gold standard that like maybe people compare it to. Right. Right. So I just think that, uh, this is one of my favorite movies. This is one of my favorite performances. So I got to give it to Sissy Spacek. Fair enough. That's fair. All <laughs> right. So that concludes another episode of Best Actress. You guys, please leave us a review online and let us know what you think. Uh, and uh, where can people find you on social media, Christoph? Uh, at this Christoph uh, uh, for Instagram. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the easiest way to find me. Okay. That's <laughs> great. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back in another two weeks. See ya.